FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Sasswhat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove, and I'm joined tonight by my pal Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, the the final four of Sasquatch study areas. (laughs) Um, This is the first episode of what we are calling Small Town Monsters Month, which is our themed month. Uh, focused entirely on small town sightings in rural America of upright walking hairy creatures that terrify the locals. And um, it, we thought it was fitting because the movie that I directed, Minerva Monster, comes out on May 16th. Uh, it sees its official premiere at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference sometime late at night on Saturday. And uh, the movie should be available for sure. It'll be available for online rental that night, but it'll also be available for digital or for sale through grassmangear.com. So we thought it was fitting to just theme this entire month around that. And the the best thing for me is I am extremely swamped this month. So uh, of all the topics we can pick that require a minimum amount of research for me, this one is tops. Um, Cause I know a lot of these stories by heart. So we can kind of just dip into this, but before we do that, I want to talk about the uh, first of our, our library presentations that I did with my pals, uh, Alan and Jesse. And actually, the entire crew that worked on the movie went to this first presentation. Uh, it was held in Willoughby Hills at a very small library in Willoughby Hills. Um, but I guess we we were successful in that I talked to the attendant afterward and she said their average crowd was about 10 to 15 and we packed out at 67. Wow. So that was cool. So, uh, good showing a lot of hands raised over people that were aware of the movie and aware of Sasswhat and, uh, the locals in general were, were awesome. It was really a great crowd, Mark, like kind of reminded me of a much smaller scale Ohio Bigfoot conference. Cause it was, you know, you had a couple of the outdoorsy types, but it was mostly like families or older couples who just were curious about the subject of Bigfoot. And then we had people who were just curious about Minerva. Um, we had people who had grown up in Minerva there, and hmm. they they actually came out just because they saw Minerva on yeah. the uh, the banner. So, did they have any uh, history with the story, or were they learning? stuff that they hadn't heard before. Honestly, I think most of the people that were there from Minerva were kind of aware of the story, but it was kind of the same story as what we found when we were filming the movie, which is people just are not educated on this tiny piece of Ohio history. They're just yeah. not. It's just it's just kind of faded into the woodwork. So Yeah. Um, now my my mom and dad showed up for that. Yes. I understand. Yes, that's what and I it, wanted to mention. An, yeah. Okay. So, so afterward, like we're standing around and there's a lot of people stuck around afterward. I mean, I'd say half the crowd stuck around after the presentation ended and just kind of wanted to talk, which was awesome. 
And uh, yeah, your mom and dad walked up to me, and I had no idea they were going to be there. And I'd seen your pic- like a picture of your dad before, but I didn't automatically recognize him. And then he introduced yeah. himself, so that was a treat because we were like, I mean, Willoughby Hills from where I live is over an hour, so I didn't expect to see mm-hmm. many people we actually knew. But Mark Mazel came from the BFRO, and he's been on Sasswat before. He came, and um, uh, Karen, who is associated with the uh, Bigfoot Conference, she's always around for that stuff. She was there, and my parents came. And then, like I said, uh, Nathan, who was the executive producer on uh, Minerva Monster, which is our fancy term for for him really what he did was like anything associated with the movie we'll talk about him when we get into the next episodes okay cool he was there and then our film composer brandon actually wrote up with me and uh, i'm hoping we can have these guys with us at every presentation because it was really smooth like nathan handled the uh the laptop and all that stuff for me and i was able to kind of you know use him to to uh piece together all my information and all that stuff so um, but I actually did, recorded this thing. Did you have, did you start? Yeah. Something? Did you get a lot of, uh, questions from the crowd? Like we did. did, we did, you know what? It was like, it kind of sucked in a way because we, we only had an hour and we spent probably the first 35 minutes and I'll play some of this for you, but like we spent the first 35 minutes kind of talking about, we were trying to cram a lot into an hour. So we were talking sure. about the history of, of sightings of Bigfoot in Ohio. We started out by talking about like what Bigfoot actually is. And then we went into the history of sightings in Ohio, which was a lot of me yammering on about like uh, newspaper articles. Mm-hmm. And then we talked a little bit about like some of Alan and Jesse's adventures. And then that segued into Minerva. Gotcha. Um, so it was kind of cool. Afterward, we had a ton of, questions i'd say like half the crowd i mean when i was i had to shut it down like we had seven minutes to take questions and the entire crowd was still raising their hand when i was asking yeah. questions at the end so we picked one final person and uh just kind of had to close out but yeah a lot of questions really engaged like really interactive and you'll be able to hear that actually from these recordings i think if i pick the right right spots but let okay. me um i'm gonna play this live so this is gonna be fun and i wrote i wrote down my my timestamps here so I wouldn't just pick random spots in the recording. But <laughs> let me try to actually play something here. So, okay. Okay. Hold on here. Live. That sounded like a library crowd. That was that was the library crowd. Story <laughs> is from Nathan is yep. Okay. It's a little hard. It's a little hard to see. <laughs> Scroll okay. Alright. This is from what's the date on there? Thirty two? It should be nineteen nineteen. 1919. All right, this is Coshocton County. And so this is a really cool story that I found through, I do a lot of like internet database research through uh, old newspaper archives. I find the history of sightings in Ohio every bit as fascinating as just your everyday sighting reports. Because I think they point to something that a lot of people don't talk about, which is that these sightings aren't something that just started in the 50s or 60s. This is something that's been going on since uh, the oldest report I have from Ohio is Gallipolis. It's 1863. 65. 63, 65. It's in that neighborhood. Gallipolis, Ohio, and I do have that, and <clears throat> we'll get that in a minute. But 69. whatever. 69. We're both 63, wrong. 65, you know, 1862. <laughs> so this report's really cool because it's this series of reports, and I only think I put two on here, but it starts out as a minister seeing what he describes as a hairy ape in 1919. 
the thing, it's, it's really fascinating because the, the paper starts to try to <clears throat> describe why people are seeing this. What is it? Is it, is it an ape? They come up with all kind of crazy uh, explanations for what it could be. So the first one is that it was a giant groundhog. That's not a lie. <laughs> the headline literally says, uh, Reverend saw gi giant groundhog. All right, so they're trying to think, of, well, what could this thing be? What that does for me is one thing. It, it tells me, well, they're trying to come up with reasons beyond just a giant ape. Back in the 1900s, early 1900s, late 1800s, what they, their main goal was to sell newspapers, right? So they made up a lot of stories. To say they didn't make up newspaper stories back then, you cannot be doing any research. If you research enough, you're going to see a lot of that stuff. This story goes on and on and on. There's like eight or nine of these. <clears throat> they start with this giant groundhog, and then they turn into the reverend trying to, to gather a posse, and then eventually they do gather a posse, and they go out hunting for Bigfoot, or an ape, giant ape as they were called. Or a big groundhog. Or a giant groundhog. I mean, which is every bit as from a zoological. Can you imagine if we found out there's a seven-foot-tall groundhog <laughs> roaming around? And that's every bit as fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay, so like they're they're they went looking for this thing for for weeks from from reading through the stories, and what it's constantly described as is a giant ape. They tried to d explain it as well. It escaped from a from a zoo in Cleveland. The zoo escape story made no sense. It's hundreds of miles to the south, about what hundred maybe one hundred and fifty miles from Coshocton to. Cleveland. I mean, the story made no sense, but it's just like one story after the next of them trying to explain it away. And then it just kind of Okay, and that's, this is actually a story that I've talked about on this mm -hmm. show, too, so you, I'm sure you're well aware of that. Um, let me grab another, another time stamp. I love here. that arguing about dates stuff. You know, it reminds me of my grandparents. It, yeah. You just sit there for <laughs> minutes on end as they debated the, trying to figure out the exact, exact year that something happened. A specific yeah. period of time, because there wasn't as much woods. So if there is, and I'm, I'm not a 100% believer, if you listen to my show, you'll know that. I say that all the time, not a 100% believer. But I think that is an interesting correlation that in this one period of time, there are no reports, and it just happens to be when there isn't half as much forest in Ohio as there is today. And when you get into the 60s and up into the 70s, you've got tons of reports start circulating in these newspapers. And especially in the late 1800s and up till the early 1900s, you've got these reports. And I kind of went off on a rabbit trail. No, that was good. No, that was good. And, and to kind of work off of what Seth said, to use the biggest word I know, it, it lends itself to the biodiversity of the state. Wow. Uh, Can you spell that for us? That's got like 14 <laughs> syllables or something. I don't know. But, but it, and that's what we've read a lot about in the papers, especially in the last few years, how deer populations are starting to rapidly increase and... Um, you know, we're starting to see other, uh, you know, big cats. People have seen those come back. Um, uh, you know, I was very, very, I consider it very lucky, at least for me. Um, I saw a bobcat down in Salt Fork State Park, which was very, very cool. Um, Black bears are coming back. Yeah, and it's because the forests are starting to come back, and there's an imbalance. Though, yeah, so um, there's, we, we wanted to blend because, I mean, you've been to some some of these presentations. Like, this is pretty – what we're talking about in these clips is pretty typical of, like, your average library presentation. But 
it it wasn't quite this mundane for the entirety of it. I mean, we went through the we actually had the slides of the original the, those articles that I was actually talking about, so people were able to see. Like I talked about the Norwalk ape, and got to show the uh, the slide of the posse of of uh, Bigfoot hunters, ape hunters. Yeah, from nineteen. Nice. Yeah, from from the nineteen 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 thirty, whatever it was, nineteen thirty. Actually, I think it was. Um, so that was cool, and the the crowd really loved that. And I had actually, I didn't realize we were going to have that laptop and have internet access either. So I, I had actually printed out all those articles uh, on copy paper and <laughs> brought them along, and I was just going to pass them around. Well, we had the the computer, so what ended up happening afterward is I actually set them out on the table, and then people just came up and grabbed copies of the articles to take home. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, sure. And yeah, they sounded like they were really into it. I mean, they were with you. Yeah, and I could pull – I mean, I could have gone – I probably could have pulled up the Q&A stuff because it did go, you know, it was maybe like eight minutes long. But um, the first half was kind of Bigfoot in Ohio, and the last half was Minerva Monster. I'll play a real quick, like, clip from the Minerva stuff here. I mean, again, I think there there, between the ages of 14 and 16, bites in his, into his back. Now, according to Howie, they did call the police. I can't find anything to back that up. There's, there's no police report that I've been able to find, but that's not uncommon from that era because that, those reports, they disappear. I mean, that stuff is all on paper, and it gets filed away somewhere. And trust me, like we had to actually dig up the police report for these very popular sightings. And it was still difficult. It took three days going back and forth with these people to find the reports. Yeah, the interesting thing about the police report, it's the it's the only it's the, what we consider the truest account of what happened because it was written the, the night you know the day after it happened. So as we were going through interviewing people for the movie, we found some inconsistencies with some of the stories and the police report. But we attribute to that that, that it was probably 37 years ago that all that happened. And a lot of these people were you know uh, teenagers, and I think we were able to kind of connect the dots. But we, we left some of those inconsistencies in the movie so you guys can kind of see that for yourself and, and kind of see the real story in between the lines, too. Yeah, and make up your own minds. I think that's one of the things that fascinates me so much about the subject are, are those little details. So if you have one person saying, uh, we found hair from uh, Bigfoot, and you got another guy saying, well, they found hair... But uh, it, it, they ran into Malone. I mean, this is just an example. It's not far off, though. We ran into Malone, and it was found to be the hair from a horse. All right? Something like that. There's a lot of that in this story. And there's a lot of that in almost any older story you go and research. People are going to forget with time, or they might be lying. You can't tell. That's the thing about these stories that's so fascinating to me. You're trying to pick apart the pieces and figure out what's really beneath all this. Is there something here? And what's so cool about this Minerva story is it's not just the Catons having these sightings. Um, there are sightings all over. Like, there's trailer. There's a trailer park right next door yeah. to the Catons' house. Do you remember any of the stories from the trailer park? People were getting rocks thrown at their trailers, and uh, that was really the big thing. People were seeing stuff. A lot of rock throwing. Yeah. The, the, the most interesting part about the story, though, was the, the night all the activity happened in 78. All right. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how we, we morphed both things. So the Minerva kind of came into the end of it. And, uh, and of course we talked a little bit about small town sightings, these small town monster sightings. And that's what we're going to do here tonight is talk about some small town sightings from Ohio. 
Um, and obviously, Mark and I are from Ohio, so this is our state. We're aware of these a little bit more than we would be some of the other out-of-state sightings. But we are going to get into the outer state ones, um, outer state, the out-of-state sightings toward the end of the month. And we did get a letter from Adam uh, that I'm going to read on one of the latter shows. So if that doesn't show up on the show, that's why. Um, but we did get a letter from Kevin. And do you want to read that, Mark? Yeah, sure. Here it is. Hey, guys. Looking forward to this episode and to seeing you next month at the conference. Can't wait to see the film and to get my Kickstarter package. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I want that keychain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the gold. That's the piece of gold in that kit. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, you asked for some suggestions for the show, so I was wondering if either you were aware of any of the creatures mentioned in the two links I have included below. By the way, I live in Westerville, a suburb of Columbus. There was a sighting reported here in the Westerville area in the early 70s. Have you ever heard of this report? As I recall, I came across it in one of Jody Cook's Grassman books, and probably the most famous sightings of the hairy big guy here in central Ohio were a series of reports in Dublin on one of the most famous golf courses in the U.S. I believe they were also in the 70s as well, during the time the course was being constructed and shortly after it had opened. I'm speaking of Muirfield Village Golf Club, designed by Jack Nicklaus and home to the Memorial Tournament on the PGA Tour. Have either of you ever heard of these reports? Just curious. And then um, he has the links at the bottom. Uh, Orange Eyes and Charles Mill Lake Monster. Yeah, good segue, because yeah. I want to talk about those. Um, I've spent a lot of time researching them, which is kind of, I guess, kind of a letdown. So, um, yeah, great letter. And I actually am. I've heard something about those Jack Nicholas, the, the those Muirfield Village Golf Club. I've heard of that. I don't yes. know why, and I can't. Maybe you're the one that told me about it, actually, Mark. It's uh, on an earlier episode. Yeah, we did talk about that a little bit. Okay. That some of it was during the construction phase of the course, and other uh, another report that I know of was after the course was close to being complete. There were security guards there watching the premises most of the time, and they claimed to have seen something hanging around the course. And uh, I think maybe... Did you tell me that there's a story about the footprint in the sand trap? Well, the for some reason I I have that sort of conflated with the no, the, the Muirfield foot, thing. footprint in the sand trap is Carrollton like Carroll County. It's okay. Carroll that's a Carrollton story. I think you were telling me about that and then I said something about how okay. uh, they hang out at golf courses. Yeah. Um but yeah, back to the Orange Eyes Charles Mill Lake Monster. Uh, and the uh, the small town monster that I actually used in our uh, social media promotion for this episode, B- uh, Big Head. They're all in the same general area, which is out near Mansfield and Ashland and kind of that general, uh, what would you call that? Is that West? I mean, it's not really Western Ohio. It's, I, I guess it's West it's Central actually, maybe. Yeah, it's not How's far that? from me. It's only, honestly, it's only about maybe 45 minutes to an hour from me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and it's also kind of close to Mohican, uh, national for, or, uh, national forest. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Or state forest. Not, is that a national forest? Wait, talk about going down a rabbit trail. I feel yeah. like it's a national forest, but I don't think it is. I think the only national forest in Ohio is Wayne. Um, 
But anyway, so so yeah, basically our next movie after Minerva Monster was going to be uh this is a peek behind the curtains, but it's it was going to be focused on those three monsters, Big Head, Orange Eyes, Charles Mill Lake Monster. Um so what we came to discover, what I came to discover is that there there isn't enough of a story there to make a movie out of so the minerva story is just there's so many facets to it but this whole these three you would think with three monsters you'd be able to come up with like an endless array of witnesses and stuff but so what i found out about old orange eyes and i had always operated under the assumption that orange eyes was this very well documented kind of ohio minerva monster type case but it's it's actually not like the whole term um orange eyes kind of comes from what seems to me to be local urban legend kind of thing. There's nothing to back up the story. Uh, basically, these kids claim that there was a, a monster that lived in Cleveland in a train tunnel. And that the tunnel was disturbed during some sort of construction or something. And the monster somehow wound up down near... Mansfield and basically all these cases kind of revolve around Butler, Ohio, which is this tiny town outside of Mansfield. Um, anyway, they, the, the orange eyes case just has no real, uh, eyewitness names or anything that I could find that, that actually point to real people. There's these vague stories about kids disappearing in the woods. Um, to, uh, probably murdered by orange eyes that really to me ring of urban legend uh folklore it just to me it doesn't seem like it's based in any reality and and the whole i love the idea of this monster living in a train tunnel and being disturbed by the construction but there is no explanation for how it got from cleveland which is i mean probably almost two hours to the north right that's not far off right hour and a half right. two hours something like that mm-hmm. i mean it's it, there's no explanation for how those two stories line up um there are articles newspaper articles from that area area of ohio that that were written in the 70s that refer to the creature's orange eyes and but that's not uncommon for any bigfoot sighting in ohio to for the creature to have orange or reddish eyes um now big head seems to be a really well documented um case from Butler, Ohio, and this, like the Minerva monster case, was investigated by Ron Schaffner, and he and I actually, he he is in contact with me pretty, pretty frequently. We write back and forth a lot. I'll ask him questions because the guy has extensive files on all this stuff, and when I had first started researching these cases, I wanted to talk to him because I knew he was the investigator, and he sent me his, you know, his files on the the Butler sightings of what people were calling Big Head, which was an abnormally large-headed creature um, covered in fur, covered in hair, which is a, a common sighting uh, attribute from the 70s. I don't know why that is, but the Minerva sighting has it. It's these creatures that are covered in so much hair that there's almost no distingu- distinguishable features. Um, and, and that rings true with this uh, Big Head sighting. But the Big Head sightings were started with a family named the Kleins who lived in Butler. They saw um, a strange creature on their property, and that's pretty much the extent of the story. There isn't anything incredibly dramatic or any really up-close encounter. There were 
four teenagers that were driving on a back road near Butler who had a sighting of what they said was a big head, and they were actually taken to the police uh, station and questioned about it. And their stories all lined up, and it seemed like they were they were being honest. So um, that was cool, but the problem with that particular part of the story is I can find no police record, and Ron Schaffner couldn't come up, come up with it either. So there's no mm. names, there's no one for me to talk to. Um, I've, you know, I can I can call around down there, but without a specific date or any of that stuff, I've had a hard time turning up information on that particular part of the story. But my interest in that big head story really revolved around the Klein family, and the problem there is that um, the father has gone deaf. Uh, he's kind of he's elderly now, so he's mm-hmm. lost his hearing. Um, the youngest son, who him and his friend were the ones that had the major sighting, um, he will not talk about it. He wouldn't even he would not speak to me. I spoke to his mom. He mm. won't speak to me. And the friend that was with him has passed away. So there's no sighting witnesses there for me to even speak to. The Charles Mill Lake monster is cool. Um, this reminds me of the Frogman, the Loveland Frogman. It's this uh, the, these two kids at Charles Mill Lake saw what they described as a amphibian type creature with no arms um, hmm. that they saw around the lake and supposedly chased them. And there was eventually a posse formed and everything to go look for this thing. Um, it was on the front page of the newspaper down there. I can't remember the name of the news, the newspaper, but there was a picture of a footprint and, um, an interview with both the kids and the police felt the kids were being honest and not just making it up, but it's a kind of a cool story in that it revolves around a non Bigfoot type creature and it's in really close proximity to the sightings of big head and, the orange eye legend. Right. I was going to ask you if that, if that happens where there's some crossover between orange eyes and especially the, uh, Charles mill Lake, if that's, if those sort of are attributed to each other sometimes. Cause I, you know, in the little bit of research that I did about it, I came away with the same impression as you that orange eyes really, turns out to sound more like an urban legend yep. than anything else. And, you know, a lot of the features of the urban legends are present, like, uh, you know, teenagers on lover's lane, and mm-hmm. this thing comes out of the woods at them, and so on and so forth. Uh, but, you know, just in in their uh, close location to each other, it seems like they sort of, you know, orange eyes for some people is Charles Mill Lake monster and vice versa. So there's yeah, the blend of these things. The thing about the Charles Mill Lake sightings is, I might be mistaken here, I might be switching up timelines on two of these, but I can't think of it. I, I think the Charles Mill Lake monsters sighting was in 1957. Um, and I could be wrong, I frequently am, but I want to say it was 57, so that would have been way prior to the 1978 sightings at the Klein house of Big Head. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also worth noting is that that 1978 sighting of uh, the Big Head would have been the same summer and within days of the sightings in Minerva of the mm-hmm. Minerva monster. So 78 must have been an active summer because I also have sightings of the River Sticks monster from 1978. <laughs> That was an awesome time to be around if yeah. you were interested in the subject because 
yeah all kinds of stuff was just jumping out at the same time yeah for sure so jump in here you you got to have something i yeah i came across in ron schaffner's creature chronicles mm-hmm. this whole deal that happened in 1980 down in macarthur have you heard about this it's yep. uh macarthur is about oh within about a hour and a half drive south of columbus and what started off as kind of a a, a flap if you will that was covered in a major way by uh, the newspapers throughout the midwest ended up being really more of a hoax than anything else with a lot of fabricated evidence although there is still some question about what was actually seen but it really is is fascinating to get into when you think about you know being picked up by the Columbus Dispatch and the Indianapolis Star and all over the AP mm-hmm. and you know you get the story of Bigfoot being shot in the shoulder and sort of this group of hunters going out and allegedly cornering creatures, finding scraped trees and, and blood and footprints. And uh, a professor from Ohio University became involved examining the track casts and so forth and said, you know, looking at the quote that he had that was in the paper, very tactfully said, these are fakes. You know, anybody with any knowledge of biology or, um, you know, human anatomy and functional anatomy would know that these are are just dug out of the ground. You know, somebody crudely dug out what they thought would be an approximate Bigfoot track and made a cast of it, tried to pass it off as real. There was an apocryphal story about the blood that was found on the tree being sent to Wyoming, and the the results came back that it was a primate blood, although in the follow-up investigation, no paper trail existed at all. Nobody knew where it had been sent to, who had examined it, and uh, someone involved with some of the original reports ended up admitting that the scratch marks in the trees were done with a Phillips head screwdriver. Oh, nice. So it was really, is this big crescendo of, you know, national attention, really, and that they think they've found Bigfoot's lair in Vinton County, Ohio, and it just sort of crash-landed uh, with just a sort of a cascading admissions that, you know, this is actually all false, and... And, you know, he had print casts with five toes. Some had six. Some had four. <laughs> One alleged handprint looked like a baseball glove. So, you know, the in the end, all the physical evidence that was put forth to try and support the story was pretty easily debunked. And some folks suggested that, you know, it's fairly close to Ohio University in Athens and that maybe some... Uh, some college kids were out partying and maybe decided to have some fun. You know, it it never really became clear that they admitted a full-blown hoax. So the possibility exists that some third party may have planted false evidence. But be that as it may, it stands as sort of a uh, an emblem of hoaxery in Ohio, which is... Uh, 
and not that far away from where I'm sitting right now. So that that kind of intrigues me as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there a Zanesville monster? You know, there's really not. No. It's, of course, disappointing to me. But um, the one thing I can say is that on the BFRO website, there is one Zanesville report, and it's fairly vague. It's just sort of a dusk sighting. Somebody off their back porch sees what they think is Bigfoot walking along their fence line, and that's really all there is to it. Hmm. So it's interesting to me to think that that's possible, and the terrain around here does lend itself to that we've got two rivers that come together essentially in the center of town um, that form the muskingum river that flows down to the ohio river Hmm. and once you get out of zanesville proper you are in uh, either farmland or uh, wooded forest so it's not out of the realm of possibility that uh, ohio bigfoot would make a visit to zanesville it just I I only know of one report. Um, I want to talk real quick about the Kenmore Grassman, which just came to me. I didn't even have this in my notes. Um, Grassman is often what people give the Ohio Bigfoot as a moniker is the Grassman, but that that particular uh, term, that particular word, actually came from just the the area of Akron known as Kenmore, which is maybe 10 minutes from where I live now. Um, And supposedly the people there said that there was a man who hid in the tall grass who lived, a big hairy man, basically. And this is similar Mm -hmm. to Orange Eyes in that, to me, it strikes more of folklore. But I will add a caveat to that at the end here. Um the Kenmore Grassman was supposedly seen in and around these swampy areas of Kenmore. Kenmore is an extremely urban section of Akron. I mean, it is inner city Akron. It's outer city, but I mean, it's like thick. It's city. There's there's <laughs> very little rural areas, but there is one section where there's a swamp, and the swamp kind of butts up against some private land that's owned by either Goodyear or Firestone. I think it's Firestone. Um this section of of land that's owned by Firestone is also where they found what most people have seen pictures of, which is this giant nest, the Bigfoot yeah. nest, people call it. Um, little do people know that that nest was actually found maybe, from what I've been told, a few hundred yards from like the smoking section of the Firestone plant. So I'm not sure how much wow. we should buy into that nest. You know, it's completely possible that was made by homeless people which are in abundance in that section of Akron um, the one caveat I will add to this is that right near Kenmore running right through the middle of Kenmore is the um, the canal the canal system that runs all through Ohio and this is still water it might even be the, a section of the Tuscarawas River there I can't remember but it is definitely a waterway that runs through other parts of the state so if it would actually make sense if there was if it was going to be in any urban area that would probably be the one urban area i would say okay maybe like tiny slim chance i could see that you know something comes up out of the water because it sees a wood line it goes into the wood line it's in the one wood line in that section of akron and then that's it 
Um, but that's actually where the, the Grassman moniker comes from is, is the area of Kenmore. And they still call it the, the Kenmore Grassman there, not the Ohio right. Grassman. So fascinating fact about Ohio's Bigfoots. Do you have another one? Well, there was uh, some questions about, and I think this was on the Facebook page, about West Branch State Park in Portage County. And I looked into that a little bit because I wasn't completely aware of any sighting reports coming out of there. But what I did discover, or I guess was reminded of, is of a researcher by the name of Tim Stover, Mm -hmm. who has uh, apparently found tracks at West Branch. Mm -hmm. And um, he's been on, I think, the the first Ohio uh, Finding Bigfoot episode. And... That became very intriguing very quickly looking on the internet um, about Tim Stover, and I've never met him. I you know, wouldn't know him if I saw him probably in person, uh, but some of his YouTube videos that were linked on certain sites don't exist anymore, and when you start to see stuff like that, it just raises a lot of questions, and all of which is to say the only stuff that I was able to come up with about West Branch State Park was uh, pretty much directly tied to Mr. Stover. So that was, um, again, Portage County is indeed uh, the site of a lot of reports. You look on, uh, again, BFRO website, Portage County is way up there, if not in the lead for a number of reports that they've received i'm trying to pull up some of those reports a lot of those reports are based in and around a um military base um it's actually i i don't know why i can't think of the name because it's actually my brother when he served in iraq actually left for iraq from that base and at the time i wasn't really into this subject but i did find out Mm -hmm. later that area is rife with reports i'm trying i'm pulling it up right now There are, on the BFRO website, there are four sightings in West Branch. Um, Oh, it's the Ravenna Armory. That's what it is. Armory. Okay. It is a massive section of land that they own. I'll tell you right now, it's bigger than West Branch by, it's about twice the size, two, three times the size of West Branch State Park, and they butt up against each other. Now, I stayed at West Branch State Park last summer, and the thing that surprised me was how much um, development there is around the park. You have maybe a couple miles of hiking trails and not much more. Um, so that was a little disappointing, but I don't think when I was out there that I realized it butts up against that Ravenna Hmm. armory. Um, but that armory does boast a lot of reports and West branch tying this back into the whole small town monsters, rather than just talking about sightings, this, this West branch state park has really embraced uh, Bigfoot. He he adorns like T-shirts and everything in the park. So it's a lot like a mini Salt Fork kind of thing. Okay. Um, there is one report out of Portage County that caught my eye, and it was in some senses a kind of a classic habituation type case near uh, near Ravenna, and the this family had become so familiar with the creature that they nicknamed one of them Fang, <laughs> and. Uh, Left candy out for the creatures. Uh, you know, certain certain times of the year, they would expect to see at least one or a couple of them sort of 
uh, paralleling them as they walked through their forest. This was on old old family land that had been owned for many generations, so it had not been developed. And uh, the the person who submitted the report really had a sense of wanting to protect these creatures and was was uh, adamant about not letting the details about their location get out because they didn't want uh, you know whatever is on that property to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. So I I always am somewhat interested by these habituation cases or, or places where people feel like they have formed some some type of loose relationship with these things to the degree that they would um, want to see them uh, not exploited. And that, that, that fascinates me in a way. That's a whole subsection of this. Well, and it ties into the small town thing because for, from what I've discovered for us, for a monster sighting or Bigfoot sighting or whatever you want to call these, because some of them are both um, weird creatures rather than just mm-hmm. upright, you know, hairy ape-like ones. Um, there, there, there almost has to be some sort of ongoing situation. You know, the Catons sighting went for eight years basically and still goes on today, but those really big sightings when the kids were young, that, that all took place for eight years. Um, and even, you know, sightings like Momo are multiple days or maybe even weeks, you know, I mean, it's not just like a one and done thing for, for it to really seep into that fabric of that community. It seems like it has to be kind of an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about one of these ongoing things, which is close to where I grew up. Um, and I'm done after this one, but the, Mineral City Monster, which I've talked about on the show. Kids called her Minnie in Bolivar, where I grew up. But Mineral City mm. was about five minutes where I grew from where I grew up. And if you drive outside of Bolivar and then head kind of east, um, I guess it'd be southeast, you come to this little stop on Route 800 called Mineral City. And... I guess at one point it was kind of a coal mining town. It's it's really out in the middle of nowhere. It's I actually lived there for a short period of time. My sister owned a house there, and I, I lived in the house. And in Mineral City, there's these very steep hills that were formerly coal mined, apparently. Like, they actually had mines dug in them. And when I was growing up, one time I used to, I was driving around in my pickup truck with a buddy, and he told me about how when we were driving on these roads late at night, we should be careful that we don't hit Minnie. And I said, what is Minnie? And then he proceeded to tell me this story about Minnie the monster, which was this, you know, big old Bigfoot, basically covered in hair Hmm. that lived in the old coal mine up on the hill behind Mineral City. And then he told me this story about how one night these four teenage kids were were out gallivanting around. They drove their car up by the coal mine. They parked and they were necking or whatever it is kids do. And they're out there, and all of a sudden, Minnie came out of the coal mine and just went on a tear and just horrified these kids. They jumped in their car. The the monster chased them down the road and then went back. And now people, you know, kids would supposedly go up there and look for Minnie the monster for decades. I mean, this still goes on today, from what I understand. Um, But that is the only sighting I know of, of of Minnie, the Mineral City monster. Uh, but as a, as you know, someone who grew up near there and lived in that town for a short period of time, I always adored yeah. that story. Yeah. Get out of here, you smoochers! Yeah, 
kind of reminds you of something from like an old black and white movie. It does. Yeah. So, all right. Do you have anything else? I really don't. That's that's pretty much it for small towns of Ohio. Okay. And there's there's actually there's a lot of small town monster sightings in Ohio. And I've talked about the River Sticks monster, but I don't want to go back there. Okay. Um, and just you know, there's all sorts of reports. So, and I'm sure with time we'll get to some of them. Um, but I think for this week, that's going to do it. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breedslove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.